Hi everyone, and welcome to the Nairobi Ideas podcast, a podcast that gives a public platform to the Africans changing the world with their big ideas. Nairobi Ideas podcast is brought to you by the Mawazo Institute, a Nairobi-based research organization focused on female thought leadership and public engagement with research. I'm your host, Dr. Rose Mutiso, CEO of the Mawazo Institute. Thanks for joining us with a special series focusing on climate and conservation. In case you missed it, in our last episode, we were joined by James Wakibia, who is an environmental activist whose social media campaign, hashtag NPlasticsKE, is widely credited for helping to raise awareness on plastic waste in Kenya, leading up to the country's 2017 plastic bag ban that made it illegal to manufacture, use, or import single-use plastic bans. Kenya currently has the highest penalties in the world for the use of plastic bags. A fine can attract between 2 million to 4 million Kenya shillings, which is roughly 20,000 to 40,000 US dollars. While many have welcomed Kenya's ban, and as Africa leads the world in these kind of regulations, with over 34 countries having passed plastic bag bans, some critics question the efficacy of widespread bans such as these, particularly in growing economies. So today we are joined by Dr. Lea Oyake Umbis, who is a part-time lecturer at the University of Nairobi and Machakos University. Dr. Lea is also the director of the Africa Livelihood Innovations for Sustainable Environment Consulting Group, which focuses on solid waste management issues in urban areas in the East African region. Her PhD research explored managing plastic waste in Kenya, and she has emerged as a notable critic of Kenya's 2017 plastic bag ban, citing the value of the plastics manufacturing industry and the lack of emphasis put on urban waste management in the country. Hi, Dr. Leo Yakeumbis. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. So Leo, you started off as a chemist. What first led you to be interested in solid waste management and specifically plastic waste? What led me to solid waste management specifically was my public service. When I was employed in City Council of Nairobi, I was employed as a chemist. But briefly, I relocated to the new Department of Environment, which was charged with the responsibility of managing waste within the city. And that was a great motivation for me to get into waste management, even though it was a new field. I developed interest and given my background of chemistry, that gave me the leverage to learn very quickly and get into the affairs of solid waste management. And um, within the solid waste management, you find there are different streams and plastic being one of them. And plastic has been a notorious stream of waste that is non-biodegradable. It is not managed at the landfills well, so you find it is scattered all over. Sometimes it even clogs some of our drainage and brings a lot of economic issues and uh, management issues. And therefore that drove me to look into it further so that I could get to know what best in my position as a policymaker could I then use. So then you decided during the course of your public service to pursue a PhD. Why was this? Yes, I did decide to do my PhD because I'd worked in City Hall for quite a long time, heading the Department of Environment, and many of the policy positions or uh, propositions that had made to make things work better were actually not taken. So I looked at it that well, I've given a good service to the county of Nairobi, then I could probably earn or get to a higher level of uh, waste management where a PhD could give me a different or a higher level perspective that could either help the nation in addressing issues of plastic waste management or even the East African region because the problems of plastic waste is not limited just to Kenya or Nairobi, but it is affecting the all of our region. Many of them, as you are realize, have already put a ban on it just because mm -hmm. of the notoriousness of the plastic waste within the environment. Okay, so this is really interesting that for you, the PhD was a means to deepen your credibility 
give you more options for influence, expand your ability to affect change. That's very, very true. That's really good to know. And validating for us at Mawazo, because this is a big part of our mission, is that higher education research combined with thought leadership, policy outreach can really lead to big impacts. Kenya's plastic ban has been widely discussed as a positive step for the country in decreasing urban waste and pollution. But you have been a vocal critic of the ban, which in some ways is a little bit of an unfashionable opinion. At a time when Africa is leading the world in single-use plastic bans, do you think that there's a blind spot in the issue? What do you think is missing from this conversation on plastic bans in Kenya and perhaps across the continent? The ban on plastic for Kenya, I find, was not well consulted. Many of the people who are already actors within this sector were never consulted. One of them, the production industry, the civil society, those who are earning livelihood, especially the community-based organization and individual entrepreneurs who are actually sourcing plastic and converting them to new products or selling them as raw materials to the production industry. So I find we actually did not uh, have the ban that was informed of research and some of the developments that had happened in the field of plastic waste. If indeed this was to be taken into consideration, then we would not have had a total ban, but we probably may have thought of mixed instruments where public engagement, uh, awareness creation, information sharing, research could have been conducted so that we have a kind of a mixed basket of things, alternatives to, to do. But as of now, we actually do not have any recourse. There's nothing much that many Kenyans could do. So one thing we found interesting about your research is that you unearthed some really interesting data about Kenya's long history with plastic recycling. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is very true. This is why I say total ban was not going to work for us because when you look at the history of plastic recycling in Kenya, it started as early as in 1930. 1930, that's 1930, 1930. Exactly. And with time, the number of industries have been increasing and the volumes of the plastics that they recycle also improves or increases. And even the expanse of sourcing for this raw material like when I did my research, I could find that some of the industries who are doing plastic waste recycling were sourcing for this waste material as far as our borders with Tanzania, our borders with uh, Uganda, and uh, just to source for this raw material. So really, that indicates the economic share that the plastic recycling industry already had had in Kenya. It was so much embedded that quite a number of people were getting their livelihoods or employed, were using this as a source of day-to-day -day income in their lives. That we did not need to go into full ban. We needed to have recorded all these practices and see what best can sustain them as well as introduce new economic instruments. A ban, I would say, is a material substitution in uh, the packaging sector, which may not actually be working well for us because when you do material substitution, then you have to look into where will that source of material come from? Do we have it locally? Because if you have it locally is when the production costs will be low. I just want to go back to this idea of the socioeconomic contributions of the plastic value chain in Kenya and to really give the listeners a more concrete picture of what this means. I think some of us have grown up seeing a lot of waste pickers on the streets. So we have a little bit of an understanding that there was some kind of informal plastic recovery system. But can you tell us a little bit more for everyday people in Kenya? What does this plastic value chain look like? Not just in terms of the, the waste pickers, but also the people, the low income people who rely on plastics in their lives. 
If I would start with the upstream where the production is, you find that uh, the plastic industry had already gained a sizable command of the economy, where you find that about 5.8 billion Kenya shillings investment was in the production of uh, this industry with quite a number of sophisticated machinery. And you find that the plastic recycling industry was employing up to 9,000 Kenyans, both direct and indirect, where indirect we could uh, categorize the pickers, the semi-processed as I would call them, or even those who agglomerated waste at some points. I, I used to refer to them as backyard operators or roadside operators. You find that within the chain, that commodity chain for the plastic waste, we have the picker who actually walks around with the bag and pick or source from different collection points. The picker will consolidate all this waste or 10 of them would converge to one yard shop operator who then would bulk, do more separation either into different polymers like uh, high density polyethylene, low density PP, polystyrene and polypropylene and all those different polymers of plastic waste that maybe we may not go into now. And once that kind of segregation is done, then they will channel them to the semi-processors who would use agglomerators or use the grinders to semi-process the material so that value is added and they fetch more price. And after that then you find this is now released to the production level. Some of the production level were home grown industries of Kenyans and some of them were those who are mixing the virgin raw material with the waste material to make new products and another trajectory also had emerged in the plastic recycling industry where quite a number of our PET waste was being exported to China to access the international market. That already was a niche that in my view we should have promoted because as you know now China is importing a lot of waste to their fabrics industry if I remember very well especially for the plastic waste. So really, this was an already embedded economy that just coming with a ban really brought a big shock. So many people lost their jobs. So many people had equipment which they had nothing to do with. And um, really, as you know, the ban now is affecting most of the East African countries. It's interesting you mentioned China because right now the big policy change in China with regards to accepting the world's plastic is causing uh, shockwaves across the sector, but that's a topic for another day. I'd also like to point out for the listeners that uh, Lea mentioned quite a number of polymers and so if you want to brush up on your polymer knowledge please look at the Meet the Host podcast from a couple of episodes ago I described a lot of these things thank you for bringing one of my favorite topics back on the table a couple of things I want to unpick from just what we're talking about right now. Two points. I'll start with the first, which is this idea of the very upstream value chain, the pickers, the very small scale informal workers in this sector. And connected to that is uh, something I know you've talked about in your op-eds and your speeches about the importance of plastic for the Kadogo economy, the people who are buying one spoon of oil and they need a, you know, a small plastic bag for that to go into. Acknowledging that a ban or whatever instrument is used to curtail circulation of these kind of plastics in our society will either put the informal pickers out of a job or really add constraints to the lives of the people living in the Kadogo economy. What would your reaction be to people who say that we should not accept that this is an, an economic sector that we want to protect, that we want to uplift people out of these conditions? Just speaking from where you said that the plastic has really supported the Kidogo economy, as you've rightly put it, that yes, we have Kenyans who live on, uh, I believe, less than $2 a day, and they just um, live on, I buy a spoon of oil and I go and make some supper or lunch, or I buy a quarter of sugar and go, and plastic packaging provided that flexibility in packaging, as opposed to the alternative now. I'm one person who believes that we should then have this variety or maybe 
mixed instruments where we also encourage, we still have the plastic packaging with us, but of course have some punitive measures of use of plastic packaging. Well, just the way the West has done it, they have not completely banned the usage of plastic packaging, but they brought in economic instruments which makes sure that the release of plastic as a waste is not so much as opposed and to when it is issued for By free. this you mean like the fee for a bag at the shop and stuff like yes, that? Yes, we need to peg a fee on it if you are to take the smallest size, whatever size they prescribe, then there is some um, one shilling or two shilling for it so that people get to know that buying it so much you are the one who is using it. If you are living on less than two dollars and you keep on removing it by two cents or two shillings rather every now and then when you go to buy and you know this Kidogo economy they do repetitive buying whatever they take for when they are going to go for breakfast they go and buy lunch they buy supper they buy so they use packaging more often than some of us who do bulk kind of shopping and bring home I think what I'm hearing from you is this idea is of we have the ideal we we know the the vision of a plasticless world we know the impacts but we have to be pragmatic we have to understand the conditions in which we live in and try to work within the system, which includes the people in the Kadogo economy, the informal pickers and that kind of thing. That's true. The second point I wanted to unpick from your uh, very interesting response from a minute ago is this idea of technological capacity within Kenya, both in terms of the old plastic processing industry and what is needed to be able to integrate and embed the new alternatives. Can you tell us more a little bit about this? Yeah, it's true that the long history of plastic recycling in Kenya, many of our industries had uh, kind of developed high level of technology in terms of plastic waste reprocessing, I would say, call it that way. So when you find that the ban was introduced, which is hardly two years ago, they really have to shift this technology. That is already an economic burden on the side of the production uh, domain. So when you look at it, that really we have to shift and looking at our economic status as a country, to a new trajectory of production. That was really a big shock to the industry. But when we leave the industry alone, this also impacted so much on the lower cadre of people, those who relied so much on the supply chain to the industry. That already has been underscored. When we look at going to the new production of the alternative uh, packaging, that is a biodegradable. Kenya does not have actually the technology for that. We import most of our technology, whether for plastic production or plastic recycling. The same is going to to apply to the new trajectory of production where we are bringing in new technology for biodegradable. But even as we brought that, we have not done enough research on this alternative to get to know to what extent are they biodegradable. Could we just be having the polymer of plastic with a little starch added on it and then we are calling it as alternative? Who is this who has ever tested whether mm -hmm. this paper is fully biodegradable within the natural environment of composting where you have to put it within 30 to 90 days and and see if it is 100% degradable under the natural environment. Nobody has really done that. And again, we have also like kind of sold Kenyans to the extent that, yes, the bag is said to be biodegradable, but nobody has bothered about branding it so that we get to know it is 1%, 100% biodegradable. We just buy it. 
I see a lot of flexibility in shaping. They're introducing smaller ones. But still, when you look at the moisture content of that bag, that bag you actually cannot use it to carry Ungafla if you went to the portion mill and it rains. The water will go with all uh -huh. your Wunga. So you can see mm -hmm. where the plastic packaging was advantageous, especially to the Kidogo economy. It seems that there's a whole regulatory infrastructure, yeah. standards, other complicated yes. implementation concerns that need to be addressed in order to make the alternatives viable and also achieve the intended impact of reducing waste. In a nutshell, it's been about two years now since the ban was effected. What are your reflections in terms of ways forward, given all of the challenges that you have pointed out and that we seem to be moving ahead in the same vein of the ban is in effect in Kenya and we're moving forward in the straight line? What would be your message to policymakers and to everyday people? What is a path forward for Kenya in terms of cost correcting? I tend to think my position really has not changed. I would still want to promote recycling and uh, still retain the level of the ban. But even as we have the ban, a lot is still missing that policymakers need to put in place. We need to have a very pragmatic communicative arrangement so that people are informed of the types of bugs that they are now using. Kenyans have never questioned anything. Nobody has ever come out to question whether these bugs are 20 or 100% by degree and therefore they fit within the environment. Yet we are using quite a number of them. We are still going to receive this at the disposal site. They are still going to clog our drainage system just like the plastic bugs did. People may not realize the impact now, but I'm sure in the next 10 years, we'll start seeing these bugs in the open environment. And I do not know what then somebody would say at that time. So for me at this particular moment, I would say that we need to have mixed instruments in promotion of sustainable environment, especially in the waste management sector. Sort out what is the major problem of waste management. It is really not the material that we use for the package, but it is the management practices that we do have, the infrastructure that we do have for waste management. And for the policymakers, especially for the people who consume this packaging, we need actually to give information. We need to promote uh, collaboration, especially for the Kenyan institutions of research. I know Kenya Industrial Development Institute, KIRDI, need to promote some of the niches that are emerging in whichever sectors of the economy. This is the one they really need to come and break the eyes and really be on the side of some of us and say we need to promote both the alternatives as well as the plastic recycling because of one, two, three, just some of the points that I've underscored here regarding okay. the advantages. It seems that we need a menu of options. We need flexible instruments and there are no quick fixes. Mm -hmm. There needs to be research, a collaboration, research, consultation, yes. and it'll be a long path for Kenya and other countries to grapple with this idea of plastic waste management. That, that's very true, especially for Kenya, which has got a long history of plastic industry. Okay. Leah, this has been a really interesting discussion. And uh, to be honest, I wish we had even more time to unpack all of the many dimensions, but you've given us a lot of really great fodder and food for thought. So just in closing, before we let you go, we like to end our podcast by asking all our guests about what their big idea is. You know, what is the world in which you dream of? What is the thing that fuels you that, you know, that you dream of, the legacy that you'd like to leave? You know, what is that fire in your belly? So Dr. Leo Yakeumbis, what is your big idea? <laughs> I think uh, from my point of view, many people may think that I'd worked in the public sector and therefore I'd risen to some level. But really at my position, I feel that um, there are things which really excite me when I look at um, 
the women of the world in other parts of the economies and you see to what extent or to what levels uh, of their the management within their confines they can rise to like i would give the example of when i saw recently that christine lagarde of france just left imf to come and lead this group of european banks a lady being the boss at that level that really made me almost uh, cry and say where is the african woman when will we ever have a woman in africa leading one of our large or big institutions within the continent so that we can address some of the problems or challenges that are facing people and i want to liken this to a woman being uh, i mean from my professional point of view where i've worked in the waste management sector for long i know that i've done research which is trying to blur the boundary between production and consumption especially of the plastic but this blurring of the boundary could be done to any other domain of production and consumption so i would want to see when a woman is sitting at the head there promoting this cycle economy which has now come as uh, i would call it a, rhetor- a, po- a political rhetoric or a policy rhetoric within uh, some of our governments mm-hmm. but somebody to pursue it to reality is not there and i feel it is a woman who could actually pursue this i'm one person who believe that the cycle economy would become successful when a woman is put as the head and i would want to see this happen if it is not me then some woman somewhere to do it That's a really inspiring vision and I just like to let you know that you are inspiring you already strike me and the rest of my team at Mawazo as a shining light and a great example of female leadership in environment which is why we invited you we wanted to make sure that we interviewed you and heard from you and I'm sure that many of our listeners would agree so thank you so much for joining us and wishing you good luck as you try to make this circular economy a reality to find out more about Dr. Leo Yake Ombis or to find links to information shared in this episode or to listen again you can Find us permanently on the Nairobi Ideas podcast page at www.mawazoinstitute.org backslash podcast. You can also subscribe to the Nairobi Ideas podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Afripods, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to our climate and conservation series, where we sit down with scientists, activists, thinkers, innovators, and decision makers who are helping engineer sustainable African futures. New episodes from this series drop twice a month, with the next episode out in October. 